Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. If you have um, babies for the baby dedication, if you could, mom and dad, bring them forward and come up here in the front. Just stay in that place of, of worshiping God. Um, believing that he really is all that we need. Hey, you see mommy? Yeah, and just come, you guys come over here in the center. I think we had, we had them across the front in the first service, but this service is just three, so we can all fit right here. Hey! So, so the amazing thing about what we just sang is that in you we have all that we need, and I just, before we start, I just want to tell you parents, like on those days when, when you feel like you don't have everything you need, and you, you feel maybe even sometimes like the biggest failure in the world, have you ever, you ever felt that way? You're like, God, don't let me ruin my kids. <laughs> you feel like such a failure sometimes, but the truth of the matter is, is he's given you everything that you need to be the parents to these children, to see them become who he created them to become. All that you need for life and godliness has been given to you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so th- this, this dedication is, is, we're dedicating the children to the Lord, but it's really us as a community, as a church family, as the parents, dedicating ourselves to seeing them become who God created them to become. That he says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That means before they were a thought in your mind, they were a thought in his. And, and he created you fearfully and wonderfully. And he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could become a new creation, filled with the Spirit of God for good works that he prepared beforehand, that you, that you, that you, and that you should walk in them. And so if you ever feel like you can't do it, just remember that he didn't accidentally place this child into your family. He intentionally placed them in your family. And he knew who you were. But he put his spirit inside of you. It's like Moses, when Moses was charged with leading the children of Israel, he's like, God, I can't do this. How will I go and do this? And God says, I'll be with you. He'll be with you. And this is us as the church family saying, like, we'll lay our lives down to see them become who God created them to be. We'll walk with you and, and help and encourage. And our kids and your kids will hang out together and encourage each other and I want our children's testimony not to be mine where I had to go find myself by finding who I wasn't for so many years. I, I want my kids to, to say, I've always known that God was my father. I've always known that he loved me. I always knew that he created me with, with purpose and with value. And he sent his son to die so that who I was could actually be revealed. Not because he hated me, but because he loved me. Because he always loved me. And then one day, because you've modeled Jesus and because they've seen him everywhere they've looked, they'll want what you have. And you'll bring them to that place of knowing him as their Savior and as their Lord. And they'll be born again, filled with the Spirit of God. So Father, we just pray right now. Dads, if you could hold the babies real quick. Just, you're the priest of your home. There's something significant about the Father saying, as for me and my house, It doesn't matter what the people next door down the street. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter which direction everybody else is going. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Our children will grow up in the fear and the love of God. 
They'll know him from a young age and they won't depart from it as they get older. You're the priest of your home and you set the, the standard for your home that says, in this house, we lay our lives down to love one another because he laid his life down to love us. And so, Father, right now, we just say that these children belong to you. God, as an offering in our hand, we hold them loosely. We thank you, Father, that you've given these parents everything that they need to see every one of these children become who you intended them to become. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for blessing their homes, that their homes would be a home of peace, God. That their homes would be homes that, that kids that don't know you, Father, that don't have parents that serve you could come and find shelter under the wings of the peace of their home. That they could know what it is to be loved by a family, even if they don't have family, because our children love them, and because we love them as well. Father, I thank you for that. We as a church family, we pledge ourselves, God, along with these parents, to seeing them become exactly who you created them to be. We thank you for blessing them with long life, serving and following you all their days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, man, we have the cutest babies here. <laughs> I'm serious. Goodness. Thank you, guys. We have Bibles here for each of them with their name on them. It's their, a little Bible forum. And, um, oh, we get the wrong one? Yeah. Little Penny Jordan. <laughs> How are you guys? Doing well? We're going to take up our offering. Um, thank you for, the, for singing happy birthday to me. How many of you guys knew that was going to go on? Raise your hand. You're all out of the circle of trust. <laughs> circle of trust, you. Um, yeah, we're going to take up our offerings. Let's do that, and then we'll, we'll get into the, to the word that, that I, I, I feel uh, in my heart. So, Father, just thank you that we have something to give. God, that we would steward everything from our finances to the children that you've placed in our care, God. And we would steward them well that we would hold on to them loosely, and that our goal would be that they would accomplish everything that you want them to accomplish. God, whether it's the least of the things we have or the greatest of the things we have, let it be serving you, God. Let it be released to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Because that's the truth, right? Like, like they're, they're our kids, but they're not really. They're his kids, and we're called to steward them. And for a time, we get to model for them what it is to follow Jesus. And it's important like, it's really important as parents that the way that we live lines up with the way that we teach. Otherwise, we're teaching our kids Christianity is what we say versus the way that we live. And it causes confusion. It causes struggle internally because they come to church and they hear or they listen to you talk and they hear or they see you talking to other people and they hear, but then what they see is so different if we're not careful. If we ever let Christianity be reduced to a religion that changes the way that we speak, but not the way that we live. But when we actually live it out in front of our kids, that looks like sometimes asking our kids to forgive us. You know you don't always get it right as a parent? Sometimes you lose your temper. Sometimes you say something that you shouldn't, or you allow yourself to have an attitude with your child that you shouldn't. It's okay. In fact, it's really good to go to your child and say to them, I was wrong. Forgive me. And model that humility in front of them and let them know, look, I, mom and dad don't do everything perfectly. Because if we don't have that humility, what we're teaching them is that 
as long as I'm in charge, everything that I do is okay. And that's a scary thing for a child to accept because there may be people who are in charge that aren't right at some point in their life. You want to teach your children that just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're always right. It does mean that they should respect you, but it doesn't mean you're always right and that you're actually capable of getting it wrong and that maybe they were right. And it's okay to humbly come to your child and say, you know what, I was wrong. I didn't do this right. Forgive me. This wasn't like Jesus. This wasn't the way that God would have me to act. And explain to them what you did and then explain to them what the right way of doing it looks like so that you've modeled for them a few things. One, you've modeled humility. Two, you've given them an example that's worthy of being followed. Because that's what we're doing, is we're teaching our children what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so if we'll do that, like if you, if, if, if you can keep yourself in a place of humility, if selfishness doesn't get in there, if pride doesn't get in there, it's not really hard to go to somebody and say, I was wrong. The only thing that keeps you from doing that is pride. The truth of the matter is most of the time, people watching already know. You're not letting them in on a big secret. You're admitting that you actually know what everybody else has known for a while. Listen, when God's pointing something out, it's not because he's criticizing what's wrong with you. It's because he believes you're capable of living higher. That's what this Christian life is. It's about discovering how much like Jesus we can become, how close to his heart we can live, and how we can be transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ so that I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday, and in a year I'll look more like him than I did today. I've never arrived fully because there's always something that I can be learning and discovering about who he is and who he's called me to be, and I can look more like him today than I did yesterday. Like that should be the goal of our life is to become like him. It's his goal. So when his goal lines up with life, lines up with your goal in life, that's a good thing. And he's not going to change his mind. So you probably should just change yours. His goal is to transform you into the image of the Christ, the anointed one. That's what he wants to do. And so if that's his goal for your life, at some point, like Jesus, you should probably bend your knee and your will to his will and say, nevertheless, like, we have these ideas in life, and sometimes these ideas are good things, but they're not his best. Like, we have this idea of what it looks like to live life, and, and we make these goals. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having goals, but I am saying if your goal becomes what determines success and failure versus his approval, you can get off course pretty quickly. Because Jesus had to do it. Like, Jesus came to a place where it was like, what the God is asking of me. I've talked about this a few times lately, but it's important we get this. Jesus comes to a place where he literally gets before the Father on his knees and says, if there's any other way, let's do that. It's okay to express to him that the thing that you feel like he's asking you to is not the thing that you want to do in the moment. What's not okay is to let what you want or feel be what determines your action rather than quickly moving into that place like Jesus did. It's okay to say to him, like, God, I know what you're calling me to, and honestly, if there's anything else, I'd rather just do that. But what we can't do is stay there in that place or let that lack of desire in a moment keep us from yielding to his will and doing what's asked of us. So, Father, I know what you're asking of me. Look, sometimes we think it's so hard, the things that he's called us to, and sometimes there really are hard things. 
Like if anyone tells you they've never had to do anything hard, they haven't followed Jesus very long. Like everything isn't easy that he asks us to, but it's always worth it. You know, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. That's comparatively speaking. <laughs> walking with God and, 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 and in his will is a whole lot easier than walking opposed to God and against his will in the long run. But in the short term, it doesn't always feel easy and light. It's okay to, to, to be, to be on. Being vulnerable is a good thing as long as it's not the thing. Being vulnerable isn't the goal. Being like Christ is. If my vulnerability is not leading me to Christ-likeness, then I've made vulnerability the one that I'm serving and not Christ. See, because my state of vulnerability before the Father, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. That's a moment of vulnerability for Jesus where he's opening himself up to the Father and saying, if I'm being really honest with you, Father, this isn't what I want to do in this moment. I know what's being asked of me, and it seems really hard and really painful, and if there's anything else that we could do, I'd rather do that. That's him being vulnerable. But the goal wasn't to come to a place of being just, just being vulnerable. Vulnerability was a tool that was supposed to move him to a place of yielding to the will of the Father. If your vulnerability is simply making you vulnerable, then you probably are serving vulnerability, not Jesus, because Jesus' vulnerability leads into a place where he says, okay, now that I've been open and honest with you, what is it that you're asking of me? I'll do that. So nevertheless, not my will, not my want, not my desire, but your desire, your will, what you want, let that be done. If Jesus had to do that, probably a good chance that at some point in my life I'll have to do it too. Maybe daily. Maybe daily I might have to actually deny myself so that I can follow him because self would go this way and he's going that way. And I get to choose this day whom I'll serve. It's not about a one-time decision where it's like, okay, I made this decision to follow Jesus. I prayed this prayer and now I'm good. And one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's incredible. And we should never lose sight of the fact that eternal redemption and salvation is the most amazing thing that we'll spend eternity with him. That this life is so short in the span of eternity that, 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 that the two aren't comparative, but that's not the entirety of being born again. That's not the entirety of redemption. That's not the entirety of salvation. Salvation begins the minute he says, this is true life, eternal life, that they would know you and the one, the son that you sent. Knowing him is when eternal life begins. So that means that every day I'm faced with probably choices of following after me or following after him, and the two sometimes go completely opposite. And then I have a, I have a choice to make, and that choice matters. It's important what I choose in those moments. Like those little decisions every single day, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So the little decisions that I make every day add up to the big decision that I'll look back on at the end of my life and say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I, I have to say that every day so that I can say that in the end. Like, don't, don't think that like there was a one-time decision that will keep you for the rest of your life without having to keep making that decision over and over again. Because Jesus said earlier to his disciples, he said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. So he'd already made that decision one day. But then it confronts him, and he has to continually keep making that decision. 
It's not like, well, I said it once, so for the rest of my life, it's good, it's settled, it's sorted. No, you said that on that day, and that's what your heart wanted that day, but you have to make sure that when something confronts you, that you actually keep yourself in that place of saying, okay, what I said and committed this day, I'm going to say and commit to this day, and it'll keep me. It's the little things that matter. It's little decisions to yield to the Spirit of God and deny myself so that I can follow Jesus. It's like, you know, sometimes we get born again and these big things happen quickly. Like, man, I, I, I love, like, hearing the story of people who got born again and in a moment, you know, there's so many big things changed. That happened in my life. Like, I, I went from, from using and abusing drugs every day, all day long, from a young age, to never touching another one, but more than that, never wanting to touch another one. And that, that, that's, that's amazing, that's incredible, but, but there's also the times where the person in front of me isn't going as fast as I would want them to. Like, see, we, we look at one as like this huge thing and one as this little thing, but the truth of the matter is, is there's no little things, because if you can be trusted with little, you'll be made ruler over much, so how do you know that that little thing isn't actually the key to you being entrusted with something larger? So then what's the little thing? If, Jesus, if David doesn't bring lunch to his brothers, he doesn't fight Goliath. Saying yes to honoring his father puts him in the position of saying yes to honoring his heavenly father when he's called to defeat the giant. So was serving his brother's lunch a little thing? Probably not. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is those who are faithful in the little probably don't consider it little while they're being faithful. So maybe we should stop considering things to be little things. Because maybe those little things are the key to the big things, so maybe the little things are big things themselves. I thought so. Because <laughs> you see that. It's these little decisions daily that we make. It's David being crowned king, but then still obeying the word of the Lord that he heard before the word of the Lord that came and said he was king that said to honor his father. He doesn't let a prophetic word over his life counteract or circumvent the written word of God that was already over his life. The two actually can go together. It's not one or the other. Like, we need to stop allowing ourselves to think that, like, this, there's this, this spoken word and this written word, and they oppose each other, and this one trumps that one. No, no, no. they have to work together because they're both the Lord, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said, if I, by Beelzebub, cast out a demon, then, how, then he is divided against himself, and a house divided can't stand. In other words, there's not a division between the two in reality. There's a division between the two sometimes in our minds. And the thing that keeps us from ever allowing that to happen is humility and being yielded to the Spirit. So he gets a prophetic word over his life. It says that you're going to be the next king. It says that God has anointed you king. We make a big deal about anointing. You know what the truth of the matter is? Is you could be anointed for something, but if you don't actually yield yourself to it, that anointing won't accomplish what it came to accomplish. I can promise you that because Saul and David were both anointed by the same prophet to do the same thing. And one of them yielded themselves to the leading and guiding and honored the word of the Lord, and one didn't. Anointing apart from character just makes you a bigger failure when you fail. David gets anointed king. He receives, I mean, if you received the word that David received, you would need the Lord to keep you humble. He has chose you this day and anointed you to be ruler over his people. It doesn't say the next thing that 
David was told, but it wasn't long after that that he was told one of two things. Now go watch the sheep or bring your brother's lunch. We know this because when he comes on the scene, his older brother looks at him and says, what are you doing here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? That means what? David was still serving in the lowest place of the family while his brothers were walking in the higher place, even though he's the one who's anointed king. And he doesn't let a prophetic word over his life keep him from serving and following out the written word of the Lord that was over him that said to honor his father. We can stand back on our prophetic word and feel like we have something that makes us immune to what God's already wrote, but I promise you, one doesn't oppose the other. They have to work together. And I know this because Jesus came along and said, if any of you wishes to be great, he must become the servant of all. The greatest word over your life should bring you to the greatest place of serving other people. If it doesn't, it's not a word of the Lord. I promise you, if, if a word over your life makes you immune to serving in a place that you, were, that you were serving before the word came, you didn't hear it right and your heart isn't prepared to hear that. It should never become permission to excuse you from something. It should always actually bring you to a greater place of going lower and serving other people. That's what happened with Jesus. He says, and Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me. And then he girds himself with a towel and he bends down. I can't get over this. I can't get past this. It breaks me every time I see it. He washes the feet of the man who will sell him for 30 pieces of silver and he already knows he's going to be sold. We look back and go, if I'd have known they were going to do that, I never would have. I'm not saying you, me. I'm tempted to sometimes. We're tempted to say, well, if I would have known, then I wouldn't have. As if now that we know the way that they were going to act, if we could go back over, we'd do it again. But Jesus already knew, and he did. Let that challenge the way that we'd actually follow Jesus and serve other people. I'm so, how many of you guys have ever had something like that happen? You've done something for somebody, and then they've turned around and stabbed you in the back or abandoned you or disrespected you or treated you badly or anything like that, and you've given yourself permission, and you've heard these words come out of your mouth. Oh, if I would have known that's how they were going to act, I never would have. Proving you didn't do it for love in the first place. You did it for their response, and when their response didn't measure up to your expectation, it was no longer worth the doing. That's what we reveal when that comes out of our heart. And listen, that's okay if, if, if you hear that coming out of your mouth or you see that in your attitude towards people. Don't just come to a place where you shut your mouth and don't let it come out. Get alone with him and let him deal with your heart to where that doesn't want to come out. That's the difference. It's not about putting on an act and saying, oh, shoot, that didn't look like Christ. I better do something that looks like Christ. It's saying, oh, my goodness, there's still a place in my heart that I've allowed to be selfish. Because if that's coming out, it's because there's something that's in there. that I, God, would you deal with that? Why do I give myself a right that Jesus never did? And he was always 100% right, and I've very rarely been 100% right. We do it. We do it. We say that kind of stuff. And we justify it. And then if we're not careful, we have people around us that make us feel justified in the same thing. Are you, are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You did what? And they did what? I, I, I'll tell you now. They're lucky it's not me. What are we saying? I look less like Jesus than you, and you don't look like Jesus anyways. 
No, that's what we're saying. When, we're saying. when we say that to somebody, when we justify them in a response that doesn't look like Jesus, we're saying, you don't look like Jesus, and it's a good thing it wasn't me because I look less like him than you do. And we call that love, caring. We, we call that looking out for each other. Or if we're not careful, we'll call it community because we'll find a bunch of people with the same offense we have. And it's really not common unity, it's common offense against a common enemy that's drawing us together. You know the problem with that? The problem is, is once you remove yourselves from that common enemy, you'll have to find another one because if the thing that is causing you to be bound together is an offense towards an enemy, you always need to be offended and you always have to have an enemy. And eventually you'll turn on each other. And every time, I promise it's the truth. Just make sure that what's joining you together is the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts and the unity of the Spirit so that we're actually being joined together by God for something that's worth living for rather than letting ourselves be joined together by the enemy for something that he gave his life for us to be free from. Yeah. Amen. <sighs> I'm, listen. This is challenging me. Like, I'm, I'm every day, I feel like I'm, God brings me to a place of going, so what are you going to do? And see, here's the problem, is that when we're faced with these things where we know what he's asking of us and we know what he's called us to yield to, if we don't yield, then we have one of two responses possible. We either will go into rebellion, which says, well, I know what he said, but. We don't call that rebellion. We call that being real. It's just real rebellion. Well I, know what, why no, well, I know that he said that, but, or I know that Jesus, but, it's just rebellion. It's just saying that I am aware of a truth, but I have a truth that I want to hold on to that's greater than his truth. Well, it's just pride. At the end of it, it's just pride, right? Like, I, I do that stuff sometimes. I've justified myself. And like, like, I know I'm supposed to be patient, but they don't understand. I'm doing the Lord's work, and they dare to go two miles under the speed limit in front of me, which justifies my response We'll justify it. Well, I know God says to be patient, that love is patient, and I'm supposed to be loving towards people, but. Or, even scarier than that. See, because the person that's in rebellion at least knows that the way that they're living is opposed to what God's word says. That means there's a chance that you could actually just say, okay, God, I'm tired of doing it my way, and I'm going to yield myself to the Spirit. The, The other thing that, if we don't go into rebellion, that because we'll, we'll, we'll have to do something to, to, to make the internal struggle go away. If we're truly filled with the Spirit of God, because He's not going to go away. He's going to continually go. Sometimes He'll put five foot of the Holy Spirit in the passenger seat to do that. And if we don't go into rebellion, the, the, the more scary place that we'll go into is deception, where we will actually try to change the scripture to fit our meaning so that we can justify staying where we are. That's a scarier one because we can convince ourselves if we're not careful that what we're doing is following Jesus at the expense of following Jesus. So if, if we want to stay in unforgiveness, just, I'm not... I'm not saying that anyone in here would ever want to stay in unforgiveness. 
But if you did, you, you might be tempted to go to the Bible and find a verse that makes you feel justified staying in your unforgiveness at the expense of all the verses that don't allow it. Like, you might, you might be tempted to say something like, well, you know, if someone doesn't ask you forgiveness, you don't owe them forgiveness because Jesus said, if your brother comes and repents, that's, listen, that. <laughs> Jesus was saying, if someone came to you and admitted to you 490 times in a day that did something wrong, you should forgive them every single time that they did. He wasn't saying that this is a condition for you to offer forgiveness. You want to know how I know that? Because he called us to be like him. And he was hanging on a cross and he looked out at people and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they don't know what they're doing is wrong, there's a pretty good chance they haven't come and asked to be forgiven yet. Well, if they don't ask, you don't owe them forgiveness. No, you're making an excuse so that you can keep your heart in a place of rebellion because it feels better to hold on to the anger because you've bought a lie that says holding on to this anger is doing something for me that I would lose if I was to release it. A lot of times it's that we think that, well, I'm just, then, then what we're telling them is what they did is okay. No, what they did isn't okay. But what you're doing isn't okay either. If you're holding on to something against them that he's not holding on to against you. Think about that. Like, we're actually doing something towards another that we're thankful he never does towards us. You, I mean, I mean, you don't. You don't have to go further than the example of Jesus, but if you wanted to, to use Scripture, you could go to Ephesians 4.23 where it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Or Colossians 3.12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. If you have a complaint against somebody, you should forgive them. Why? Because he forgave you. But this is the scary thing about not yielding to the Spirit. Is it, you don't find yourself in deception by waking up one day and just suddenly you're deceived. It's that you've continually said no to the leading of the Spirit of God, and so you have to find a reason to justify it. And so you'll either be in rebellion, which, it, it, like I said, that's the better place to be. At least you're saying, like, yeah, I know. I wouldn't stay there long. But at least at that point, you understand that what you're doing doesn't line up with the example of Jesus or the Word of God. That's a better place to be because then you believe there is a different way that I could live. The worst place to be is to start finding reasons and changing what the Scripture says to justify me staying someplace that He doesn't want me to stay. And so I, I, I was, I had just been, I mean, this has been rolling around inside of me this, because, because I, um, I, I recently, my wife said, I'll just, here, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. My wife said, you're always rushing me. You need to ask the Lord about that. She did. And you know what my response was? My response was to find the two or three times in the past month that I justifiably was telling her we have to hurry and point those out as the reason why I'm rushing her. Never mind the 400 other times that I was rushing her just because I was being impatient. And I, I, I did, so I asked the Lord, because that's pretty good advice. And here's what I felt like the Lord started showing me and has been showing me and started still showing me this morning, is my impatience is because I don't consider others more important than myself. I don't think more highly of others than I do myself. I actually think more highly of myself than I ought to in that moment. 
because I'm frustrated and impatient because I believe that what I want or where I'm going is more important than what you want or where you're going. And here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that if I see the person as a problem, I can never see myself as maybe being part of the solution. I said that last week, and this is what I mean. I mean, if I look at you and you're not going fast enough and I say you are a problem, then I've eliminated the fact that maybe you're a person who has a problem that maybe God's spirit inside of me wants to use me to be part of solving. So rather than actually coming to you in humility and laying my life down to serve you and saying, hey, is, is there anything I can do to help? I instead get an attitude that says, you always make me late. One makes you the problem. The other makes me the answer. And Jesus was always moved by compassion and never moved by selfishness. Which is why he was able to see people and respond to their need and be part of the solution rather than the problem. So what if, what if instead of the person in front of me being the reason that I don't act like Jesus, they become the reason that I have Jesus inside of me? And instead of becoming impatient and talking about how I would love to teach them to drive, I offer my services all the time. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't even have a driving school, and I've offered it to so many people. No one's ever taken me up on it either. Actually, that's not true. Patty has told our kids, don't drive like your dad. So I've been teaching them by showing them what not to do. I'm getting better at it, though. I've found that, that one way to keep from grieving the spirit is to use cruise control. I just set it at the speed limit, and then it, the cruise control decides how fast we go, and I don't even, I take myself out of the equation. But the truth of the matter is that's a temporary patch for a permanent problem. If I don't actually let God deal with my heart, then what happens when I find myself in a situation where I can't put it on cruise control? Because if all I change is the external and I never let him change me, then I'm not, the, I'm not changed. I'm only doing as good as the external solution is there. He wants to change me so that I can actually be in any situation and respond like Jesus rather than only being able to respond like Jesus when the people around me live the way that I think that they should. That's what's challenging me lately. How about you guys? <laughs> because here's the thing. So what if I actually, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to close up with this. Um, because if I start on the rest of it, we'll be here till 2.30. And we have to do baptisms. We get to do baptisms. How many of you here are born again and have never been baptized? Okay, one. Anybody else? You were born again, and since you were born again, you never actually were lowered into the, into the, the baptism, into his death, and raised to newness of life with Christ. Is there anybody else? Do you want to get baptized today? We have dark clothes. That you, did you sign up? Guess what? We have dark clothes for you to change into, and we have towels so that you can get baptized today right after service. Do you want to? Awesome. If you didn't want to raise your hand and let everybody else in on the secret, find me after the service. We'll get you a change of clothes, and you can join the people who are signed up to be baptized because it's not just a symbolic thing. It's a big deal. It's being lowered into his death and raised into newness of life in Christ. It's the old passing away and everything becoming new. And it's a time that you can point to and say, I was lowered into death with Christ, and I was raised to newness of life in him. You can point to that time in baptism when everything was cut off and everything became new. 
And that's what happens. That's what we do when, when baptism. That's why we lower down into the water, and, and then we raise the newness of life. And so if you want to do that today, you can do that. We're doing it right after service over here. But here's the deal. Think about this. If I would actually not be so impatient and think so highly of myself, what if the person in front of me becomes someone that I'm concerned for rather than myself? And so I start asking the Lord, Lord, why are they driving so slow? And maybe there's no good reason, but maybe there's a reason. Maybe they're a new driver and they just got forced off the road yesterday and a spirit of fear has gripped them and they're actually trembling behind the wheel and they're super nervous. And me coming up close to them and being frustrated and agitated is making them even more nervous. And I'm now part of the enemy's scheme to keep them fearful rather than Jesus' scheme to see them free. But what if I would just say, God, why are they driving so slow? Is there anything that you can show me? And what if the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead actually lives inside of me and he knows everything? You know, that's true. What if he could just give me a word and say fear? And I could begin to pray for that person. And say, Father, I thank you that you've not given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And God, whatever it is that's causing them to be fearful, I pray that you would come and you would bring a way that they could think, God, that you would bring something into their life, God, that you would show them truth that would keep them from being fearful. And God, if there's anything, all of a sudden now you've moved from this place of being irritated by the person and them being a problem to being compassionate and in love towards them and actually stepping into the place of being part of the solution. And it only happens by realizing that I'm supposed to yield to the Spirit in everything, not just the big things. And here's the thing. If I will do that regularly, here's what will happen. I'll change. And what used to be a conscious act of yielding will start to become a part of who I am, and it'll be a natural response. Because I actually allow him to change me by the way that I think, being changed. So I'm thinking differently. I'm being transformed. And I'm no longer a person with a problem in front of me. I'm a person with an answer inside of me. And now all of a sudden, when I find myself in a situation where I would have been tempted to think for myself and be irritated, frustrated, angry, upset, whatever the case is, listen, it could be anything. You look through the fruit of the Spirit, And you'll see, selfishness ruins every one of them. I I said this earlier in the first service, and I really believe this. I I believe we're seeing God do just amazing things right now. In our city, but in his church, everywhere. And I think he wants to do more. I think he wants to do things that we haven't even seen, never mind prayed for. But I think think that, that, that to step into that, there's little things that he wants to deal with. He's not okay with 90%. And so I feel like God's been challenging me in that area, and I'm just going to extend that to you guys. I said this first service, I'm going to say it again. If the goal of life is to follow Jesus and become like him, then I should ask myself if the things that I'm giving myself to are making me more like Jesus. I, I could talk about some of the things that Christians openly boast about watching that are filled with things that he died for people to be set free from. But I'm not going to because then I might step on people's toes and you might not finish season eight.
here, I'm, do what you want, you know, do what you will with it. I'm just saying that before I would sit in front of something and fill my eyes with something that he gave his life for people to be set free from, I would ask myself why there's a desire in my heart for it. And then I would get alone with him and ask him, what is it in me that is being fed by this? If, it's, if he says it's me, it's worth it, it's good, go for it. Watch it ten times. But if he doesn't, you may be in one of those places where you're forced into a place of decision where you either yield to what the Spirit is saying or you yield to something other than the Spirit. And every time we yield to what the Spirit is saying, we take one more step closer to the image of Christ. And every time we ignore it and we go after anything else, we take one more step away. And the goal of life is to become like him, not see how far we can walk away from him and still think on that last day he'll say, well done. Uh, look, I know that sounds heavy. It's the truth, though. And it's what God's been challenging me with is, is I'm telling you, the goal of life is not to see how many steps away from him I can take and still think that he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. The goal is if I can become like him even more, I want to become like him. And here's the truth. You may find that you are missing things you didn't even know you were missing because of things that you've been giving yourself to. You may find a peace that comes when you step away from that thing that you didn't even realize you were lacking. You may find a joy. You may find a, a, a comfort. You may find happiness. You may find all these different things that you didn't even know you were missing because you didn't even realize that the decisions you were making were keeping you from them. You may be living a great life, but there's a greater life in every decision that you make that looks like Jesus. Don't take this as condemnation, but if he's challenging you on something, it's because he has something better for you and because he believes that you're capable of more. A dad only asks more of a child that he knows is capable of it. If the father's asking you for more, it's because he believes you're capable and because he wants to entrust more of himself to you. He's extravagant, but he's not wasteful. He won't pour it out where room hasn't been prepared. He won't. So, Father, I just thank you for that. I, I, I thank you that, God, I, I just, listen, I'm just going to say this to you guys instead of praying it. I, I, I don't ever want what I say to come across as condemning because it, it's not condemnation. But I would be doing us a disservice if I didn't be honest about the things that God's showing me in his word and the example of Jesus that's so clearly set. And, and, and so, like, if something I say bothers you or, or whatever, that's okay, but get alone with him and ask him why. If I've said something in error, if I said something that's unbiblical, come find me and correct me, because I want to be corrected. But if it lines up with scripture, then maybe ask God, why does that bother me? What is it in me that's being fed by that thing I don't want to say no to? Because it's okay. I'll just end where we started. It's okay to say, you know what? I don't want to do that. It's not okay to then say, so I'm not going to, and walk away. Being vulnerable means being honest with him and saying, I don't want to. Being born again and following Jesus means that it's quickly followed up by saying, but it's not what I want, it's what you want that I know is best. And I start walking towards him, and I start leaving that behind. So Father, thank you for that. I thank you that, that we can serve you 
God, that we can become more like you, that, that, that you, you, you've never been one to just leave us alone, Father, but you're continually transforming us from glory to glory ever into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. That today is amazing, but tomorrow I'll look more like him than I do today. And then in a year, I'll look more like him than I did today. And then in 10 years, I'll look more like him than I did a year from now. And I'll be more in love and I'll be more filled with joy. I'll be more filled with peace and hope, God, and, and, and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. You know that self-control is a gift from God. It actually means that you don't have to do the thing that you want to in the moment because you can actually yield and submit to the Spirit of God and do what he's calling you to. That's a gift from him. That's not a curse. That's a fruit. That means it should taste sweet to our mouths. If it doesn't, it might be because we've been eating other things and we've acquired a taste for something other than his fruit. If that's where we're at, just start eating the fruit and all of a sudden you'll develop an appetite and a taste for it. And it'll taste sweet. So Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. I pray that anyone that doesn't know you is there anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, that has never actually came to a place of saying, I need a Savior, and yielded their life to him and received what he paid for on the cross when he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins? Is there anybody here, before we move on, that would say that, I, don't, I need to do that? I haven't done that before. I've never actually accepted the forgiveness that was paid for on Calvary. Is there anybody here that needs to do that before we move on? I just don't want to assume. No? Okay, awesome. So if there's anybody here, Father, that, that hasn't been baptized and needs to be, would you just cause them to come forward? Um, we love you, God. We just yield ourselves to your spirit. Today and later today and tonight and tomorrow, we want to just be people that say yes over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.